there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Yeah, good morning. Top of the day. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. My wingman, Jack Hartle, in studio with me for the cause as we bend with the trend, shall I say. Uh, we got our North American strategist uh, going to help us kick the show off, Martin Roberge in Montreal. We're going to uh, head down to the United States and speak with the director of FANG Stocks, Michael Graham. He's our tech, media, and telecom internet analyst. Uh, very, very bright guy. Very, very fast-moving space. Very exciting stuff to try to keep on top of. And then we're going to end it with a good friend of mine, David Addison. He's the executive director at the Toronto City Mission. Uh, we're about making money, and we're also about giving money here on Hi-Fi Radio. And uh, giving back is so powerful. Uh, we all feel so much better. Uh, so I look forward to speaking with David. But uh, let's uh, start off with some strategy talk. Martin Raberge, our North American portfolio strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show, Martin. My pleasure. Uh, so here we are in the middle of uh, summer. Um, it's been an interesting year, I shall say. Uh, again, a strong rally in January. Uh, it was a continuation, really, of the very smooth, steady, low volatility of last year. And then whammo, uh, the market uh, had a nice correction in February, March. And now we're trying to grind back. The Nasdaq uh, made a new all-time high. The, uh, the Russell Small Cap Index making an all-time high. It looks like the S&P 500 wants to push higher. Um, Toronto's even on the air, Wolf. And Toronto, about Toronto. Toronto is, yeah, that's right. Toronto continues to lag the, uh, the, the, the developed world. Uh, but the, its market, our market, is at least back to break even. Uh, so uh, for the next six months, Martin, how do we, uh, how do we uh, play it? And what's uh, in your strategy book? Yeah, and I think we're still... Uh uh, in the process process of uh, uh, like going through the this little uh, congestion where people um, try to grasp uh, like the next big move uh, in terms of uh, in terms of um, of the overall market, where whereby like uh, we've got like some uh, um, some risk factors. Uh, uh, the Fed obviously is one. Uh, the, the, the rising trade tensions, another one. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, uh, what we have is a market that keeps on rotating uh, into various areas, uh, laggards be- becoming uh, like winners and winners becoming laggards. And the, uh, the overall breadth of the market is obviously improving, uh, including like areas such as REITs, energy that were kind of orphans mm-hmm. a year ago. So that this is like the, the typical late cycle push, uh, late cycle dynamics. And normally this uh, this uh, this push will last anywhere between six and twelve months, uh, and uh, until you have um, an an inversion of of bond yield curves, which is where normally the market will start uh, distributing or consolidating, and maybe even like uh, uh, putting a top. So we're we're not there yet, uh, but uh, we are uh, probably engaging in in the final push of this bull market. Mm-hmm. Martin, you uh, you referenced the Fed being a big risk. Uh, to the market out there. Uh, last week, they raised uh, interest rates 25 basis points, so a quarter percent. Um, they telegraphed that the expectation is for two more rate hikes this year. Uh, what is the big concern with the Fed? Uh, it seems like they're basically um, you know, going towards plan, uh, raising rates at a systematic uh, rate. It's the lack of considerations for uh, global uh, 
factors. Uh, before uh, uh, Fed Powell, we had the Bernanke, Fred Bernanke, and Mrs. Yellen, and Mrs. Y- Ms. Yellen, and uh, in their monetary policy um, framework, they always accounted for uh, external factors. And there's no doubt, following last week' uh, conference and uh, press conference, and through the Q and A session, Mr. Powell has uh, like a, um, don't like hasn't mentioned like once uh, global factors such as such as, such as uh, trade tensions, uh, some um, uh, turmoil into the emerging market uh, world, and uh, what and the risk is that eventually the um, the um, the risk factors are external to the U.S. economy, uh, and uh, the next source of shock could be a global shock as opposed to being a, a U.S. shock. And as we know, if the Fed keeps on on following its own agenda, uh, they're they're going to do like a rate hike every quarter. And if you calculate uh, the number of hikes uh, until next spring, that's four and four. Basic, basically, uh, it takes you to the actual level of of long-term bond yields. So the risk is that the Fed is on a mission to just build a cushion, uh, you know, for the next uh, next recession. And uh, by following its own agenda, uh, it puts even more pressure on the U.S. dollar, and which is a de facto tightening on on financial conditions. So uh, I'm just afraid that the lack of global considerations, trades being one, emerging markets being another one, uh, we end up in a situation where um, the, uh, the next, uh, the next uh, um, uh, big or the next market correction uh, comes from uh, external factors as opposed to, uh, to, to the Fed's policy. But, you know, Martin, I will say it's, it's incredible because with all the rhetoric, all the talk, all the hoopla uh, around Donald Trump from NAFTA to North Korea, uh, the market continues to digest it with a favorable tone and, and push higher. Secondly, uh, look, we're going to have Mike Graham on the next to speak to him about the, the, his tech stocks. The most expensive stocks on the board are technology stocks, and they keep going higher. So, I, again, I'm not seeing this rotation out of growth into value uh, that has been so much talked about this year. And in terms of the risk, I'm almost can say we can do a 180 on the risk factors, i.e. trade, and almost turn it into a bit of a reward outcome. Uh, you know, i.e. with Trump, it, it, it's all bark, no bite. It's just, you know, the art of the deal. But uh, I want you to digest what I just uh, tabled there, Martin, because we're going to yeah. come back to you after commercial break and and and, and try to get a response to you on those uh, points uh, yeah, at, sure. at hand. Yeah, thank you. And Hi-Fi Radio, come right back in a few minutes. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio. 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, your co-host of the show about money. But we like a bit of music in the show as well because it makes us feel good. A little safety dance there. Yes, uh, it was a man without hats, Jack. I think it was for that band, safety hats. Uh, yes, it was. It is, yeah. Says Courtney. So, um, band from Montreal, and that's where our North American strategist resides in Montreal, Martin Reberge. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about the rotation, Martin. Um, 
how do you believe money is going to rotate for the rest of your meaning there's 10 sectors out there that individuals can invest yeah. in from banks to utilities and uh yeah winners become laggers and laggers become winners eventually uh but i i'm seeing really a steady hand here in terms of these tech stocks plowing higher plowing higher they're now 26 percent of the s p yeah. 500 it's a historic yeah. i would say the bond surrogates too that you had the safety dance on the safety trade has been getting hit really hard and i think martin has a good point on that on how you know the, the debt on these uh these dividend payers uh, are, is at historic levels in Canada, and these stocks aren't you know as safe as people think they are. Right. Yeah, that's uh, first uh, like a couple of issues here. First, uh, when it comes to the rotation uh, growth to value. Uh, let me remind you that the U.S. market is the only country where you've seen a uh, like a growth outperforming value this year outside the U.S. Like it's probably it's head to head with value like uh, um, doing as well as 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 uh, as growth. And the, the reason is is in internationally uh, the technology component in in the index mm-hmm. in indexes is lower That's than lower, in the yeah. U.S. So we've seen a, 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 and and don't forget like commodities have outperformed stocks this year. And, and this is typical of a value-driven market. So we have to keep that in mind. And one of the reasons, though, why technology is maintaining the, the leadership, despite like uh, uh, some of the uh, – is as uh, Jack mentioned, normally, once you go into the late-cycle push, okay, mm-hmm. you eventually – rotate into the defensive yielders like mm-hmm. the utilities, telecoms, staples, healthcare, as people like start to see that the earnings backdrop will become less favorable. Like this year, like uh, outside risk or geopolitical risk or trade risk, uh, those are sideshows because the earnings backdrop, like earnings growing around 20% year over year, yeah. outweigh the impact of those external risks. Next year, the rate of growth will decelerate. Of course, yeah. So this is when it's going to get a little bit more challenging for equity investors. But one of the reasons why technology uh, is doing so well at this point of the cycle is that nobody, like nobody wants to do the rotation into the defensive sectors that are broken fundamentally. On the yield side, you've got, as Jack mentioned, lots of debt on balance sheets, and we have the highest, like the most levered defensive stocks in Canada. And on, on the, on the non-yielders, which is healthcare and staples, as you know, these companies are kind of broken fundamentally because they are going through, if you talk about staples, uh, severe input price inflation. And as you know, revenue growth has been moderate, moderating over the last couple of years because of the impact of, of retailers such as Amazon. And on healthcare, as you know, drug, drug price inflation just keeps on falling, falling every single quarter. Yeah, that's called deflation, isn't it? Yeah, it's called deflation. So these companies have no pricing power versus the historical experience at the tail end of, uh, of an economic cycle. Yeah. So the, the fact that people don't want to rotate in those broken sectors may, is such that they are staying in, in, in technology longer than maybe we, we would have expected. You know, it's amazing because I want to reflect now back on my career here in, in finance on Bay Street. It's been 16 years now. Um, when I got into this business in 2001, technology was breaking down. And the things to buy were Naranda, Falconbridge, Tecaminco, Potash, Cameco, Encana, Suncor, CNQ, maybe even Barrick Gold or Agnico Eagle. And I can go down the list, but everything I mentioned is a commodity stock. And I owned a lot of those from 2001 up until 2008, and my clients made a lot of money. Uh, yeah. But then I rotated out. 
and really have not really come back into tech. I've rotated out and into technology, into some industrials, into some consumer discretionary. Yes, some healthcare as well. Um, and that has been, again, the right trade. But I'm, I was reflecting uh, recently with Jack on elder Canadian retail clients who may have accounts at the big banks and who have had relationships with, with, with elderly advisors. My point is, I would bet you their portfolios are, are loaded with Canadian banks, Canadian pipelines, Canadian utilities, uh, maybe some REITs, but they would have to be uh, certainly lagging uh, the performance of someone who has a more of a North American portfolio or, and or an international portfolio. You know, if you throw some couch tart in there, um, you just go down the list. It's been a tough slug for the Canadian marketplace, plain and simple. Uh, yes, and uh, this is normally what you see around, again, the tail end of, of a bull market where the market, uh, when commodities start moving, um, you know, people have to, to like, the, 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 it's normally a backdrop of, of rising interest rates. And when rates are rising, you want to stay away from the yielders. Mm-hmm. And this cycle, a compounding factor, a negative factor, is the fact that, as we said before, the, the leverage or the debt on, the, on those companies' balance sheets is such that the possibility of increasing dividends, buying back stocks, increasing payouts is more limited than in the past. Yeah, no, sorry, Martin, I want to interrupt you, but that's Canadian center. You're talking about Canadian companies primarily, Can- not, not American companies. And Canadian investors typically have that home bias that you're talking about, and they don't yeah, go global, co- and it's just a natural phenomenon but, investing. And like you said, if you look at Canada Pension or the professional money managers here in Canada, they're going global because they see better yeah. opportunities. Right. Yeah, yep. Actually, this is the trade right now. What we're seeing and what we're advising clients is that if you want to buy income or yield, go global, even with the withholding tax, you're going to make more than the dividend yield for, uh, in, in Canada for most of those, those yielders. And at the same time, the multiples or the valuations are cheaper. And you also, you expose yourself eventually to a re-rating of international currencies versus the Canadian dollar. Right. So you've got three tailwinds that you can exploit going forward. So why sticking to Canada, to Canadian yielders, when the rest of the world looks a lot better? I agree. I agree. Well, look, we're going to speak to Martin, uh, sorry, Mike Graham next. He's going to take us right back to those tech stocks uh, that Jack and I like so much. But we have to be careful because they are getting stretched. And Martin, of course, is speaking about just that. So, you know, Martin, why not barbell it, eh? Have some value, have some growth, and always be willing to, well, Dance to the tune. Uh, Martin Roberge, North American Portfolio Strategist with Canaccord Genuity. Always a treat to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. Coming up next, we're going to take a walk down into America and learn more about technology with Michael Graham, our internet analyst at Canaccord Genuity, right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Why not use your knowledge of the future to play the stock market? We could make trillions. Why make trillions when we could make billions? Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, your host. Along for the ride, Jack Hartle. And uh, on the line, we got uh, Michael Graham, a technology, media, and telecom internet analyst. That's a lot of different components there. Mike Graham, you got to pay attention to, eh? How's it going, Wolfgang? Uh, Really, really well, Michael. And how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, I remember back in the day, they used to call folks like you TMT analysts, eh? 
Tech Media and Telecom, uh, back in the day of convergence. It's funny because I was, I was reflecting that con- concept of media convergence, and yet uh, this week we have an announcement, uh, Jack, with AT&T. And Time Warner. Back, yeah. Time Warner. Uh, 18 years for convergence. What was the big one, Mike, back in 2000? AOL buying, or what was it? AOL bought Time Warner. AOL yeah. bought Time Warner, yeah. Came yeah. in one day, and uh, the biggest media conglomerate in the world was being bought by a little internet startup that was still doing all dial-up with was, uh, modems and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before Jack's time, of course. Uh, but I certainly remember, and I still got one of those dial-up modems in my drawer, along with my old BlackBerry and all that good stuff. So, anyways, <laughs> you know, your space is so exciting. I, I just went through um, uh, all the names that Jack and I own. We own Amazon, we own Google, we own Facebook, and we own some chip stocks. And um, the space is no longer cheap, with the exception of Google, which is fair value. And yeah, Facebook, when you factor in growth, uh, shows good value, or reasonable value as well. Netflix, I find to be pricey, and Amazon is is operating on a valuation plane of its own. How, how, can, how does Amazon manage to continue to trade at such lofty valuations? Like how does Wall Street continue to, shall I say, forgive it for a lack of you know, reasonable fundamentals and allow it to propel to make new highs almost every day? Yeah, I mean, it's a totally fair question. You know, I've come around on my thinking on Amazon's valuation. I actually think it's still pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, you know, the way, the way we value it is, is based on uh, some of the parts where we, we take a multiple of all the, all the um, you know, revenue, the gross revenue that's going through the e-commerce business, uh, and we take, a, um, we take a multiple of the EBITDA that's going through AWS, and, um, you know, the e-commerce business is... Uh, about two-thirds of that value, and AWS is about a third. And um, the thing about the e-commerce business is, like, I, I feel like that multiple could go a lot higher. I mean, you know, Amazon's e-commerce business is uh, bumping along at, um, you know, very low margin levels, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the break-even area. And um, they structurally should be at 7 to 10%. And, you know, I think they could be over time if they stopped investing in, in distribution and they stopped investing in uh, – you know, uh, uh, new markets like India. So, you know, I definitely think that there's some, some, still some, you know, good upside for Amazon. And the thing is, like, they're just such a propellant on the top line. They just do such a great job of growing and taking share uh, with Amazon Prime and everything else. And, um, you know, I think there's still a long way to go. I mean, you just got to go back to the big addressable market. Uh, you know, overall, um, e-commerce is still a small portion of, of overall retail globally. Uh, and Amazon's still, um, you know, a, a small part of that uh, e-commerce total. Hey, Mike, it's Jack here. What do you make of um, Donald Trump? He talks about an Amazon tax. He says that uh, Amazon's putting, you know, small America out of business. Uh, they're taking market share. Uh, is that a real risk, or is that just a, um, a Trump, you know, tweeting uh, as he does? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think if you if you peel back the layers on that, I mean, I I, I do think on on one hand. Uh, President Trump, you know, has uh, some, you know, uh, legitimate concerns there. But I also think there probably are some political motivations for some of those comments. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon, owns the Washington Post, which has been, you know, critical along with a lot of the other liberal media uh, in, in uh, of the president's, um, uh, you know, position and, uh, and his presidency so far. And I think that he's, uh, you know, potentially... Um, you know, using that as the, as the instigation to kind of reach out and, you know, kind of be critical in, in turn of Amazon. I know some of the Amazon shareholders aren't super happy about that, and they wished that, um, 
you know, Mr. Bezos didn't own the Washington Post. I think that's probably a big part of it, honestly. But, you know, beyond that, I think that it's totally true that Amazon is putting lots of other players out of business. Uh, you know, Amazon's putting the U.S. mail service potentially, you know, out of business. I think Amazon is going to have the potential to put UPS and FedEx out of business. I mean, it's their biggest customer right now, but over time, I think Amazon's going to do all that stuff in-house. But since when is that bad, you know, for, an, for a more efficient company to come in and put less efficient company competitors out of business? I think that's kind of like, you know, a core tenant of, uh, of a free market society. So, it, you know, it doesn't... The, yeah. And I would say the consumer obviously benefits in that case because they get the, the products that they want at a, at a better rate, at a better price. You know, I hear people ship, uh, boarding from Amazon three pair of shoes and they send they send two pair back because of the return policy being so liberal. And I hear they're going to tighten up on that return policy, uh, Mike. But I want to switch gears now to another stock. You made an amazing call on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, what was your most recent breach? Boy, oh boy, I have a short-term memory issue here. Uh, the stock got hammered about a month ago down to 160. Uh, what was it? Was it politically? Uh, yeah, they had some of their users' information that was, um, you know, uh, I guess it was released yeah, and, and when sold, it shouldn't have been right, and sold. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you you kept a steady hand on on the name, Mike, and and well, here's Facebook, but bumping up against the basically all-time highs, is it not? It, it, it has rebounded, you know, pretty sharply from 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 there. And yeah, the issue was that um, you know Facebook had a data uh, breach, and um, you know I think the the, the they, they they sort of cleaned that up pretty quickly. But the danger then becomes that. It threw a spotlight on just how much data Facebook and the other social media platforms and Google uh, are gathering on on users, and um, you know there's just a growing awareness that you know the internet is is free in quotes, uh, but really you know you're paying for it with your data and the ability to get targeted with advertisements, and so you know it threw a spotlight on just how much data all these players have. And the, the fear was that, you know, you've got this uh, GDPR regulation in, 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 in the European Union, which is, you know, forcing uh, all these companies to disclose more to their users about the data that they're gathering. You had this data breach from Facebook, and the fear um, was that, you know, that was going to cause problems to the, to the ad model. Um, you know, our view has been that um, if there is increased regulation, it's going to help the biggest companies the most because they're going to be able to, um, to comply with it and work around it. Uh, and, you know, we also just, you know, we think Facebook is just still very valuable to advertisers and, um, you know, the, there's a lot of momentum there from a business perspective. Without question. Well, look, here on Hi-Fi Radio, my good friends, we do not collect data because we're analog radio, uh, but we try to entertain and try to inform on Hi-Fi Radio. we got Michael Graham on the line. And so we're going to pay some bills around here and uh, get right back to Hi-Fi Radio with Mike Graham right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Mike Graham is on the line. He is our TMT Tech Media Telecom Internet Analyst at Canaccord Genuity. Netflix, of course, is another stock that uh, Michael has been, um, I don't want to say table pounding, but certainly uh, supportive of, and the stock kept going higher and higher and higher. Uh, I had a piece of that stock for a little bit. I just couldn't hang on. It's an absolute freight train. But talk, I'm going to stick with Facebook for a second because, again, in going through your work and um, the data that we have on Facebook, uh, you know, two 
billion monthly users globally and continuing to grow. And I guess, well, uh, full penetration is what, 8 billion people there, eh, Mike? So <laughs> 75% opportunity is still in front of the company. Well, I do. And, and, and a big part of that, I mean, you know, the, the ad ARPU or the revenue that Facebook gets per user in the United States is, um, is like many multiples. I think maybe it's like six or seven times what it is on the global average, um, especially in the emerging markets. And so um, there is a bit of like a revenue issue with all the, you know, users that Facebook is adding in some of those newer markets. Like they don't monetize them nearly as much, but the the, the revenue per user in the United States is still expanding nicely. Um, so, you know, Facebook, I think, still has a decent way, ways to go, um, you know, both in terms of time spent uh, and in terms of ad revenue per user. They've made a big, uh, you know, kind of move over the last six, six to 12 months to stop the growth in the ad load. So they're actually showing, um, they're not still showing more ads per user, but the pricing on those ads is going up nicely. Good for them. probably going to fuel the next leg of growth. Yeah, well, so, you know, that business is no different than the business we're involved here at Hi-Fi Radio. It's bums and seats. Bums in seats. Um, yes, indeed. Let, let's uh, talk about Instagram for a second, because that's actually one of the reasons why I feel safe about owning Facebook, uh, because uh, the 18 to 34-year-old demographic remains a key demographic, as is 25, 54, uh, from an advertising planning perspective. We're talking old school media now. Uh, so the, the Instagram uh, the silo of business that Facebook owns, um, I, I don't see much data on it. Uh, what kind of traction, what kind of growth, what kind of um, uh, revenue per, per user uh, is it realizing? Yeah, so um, we, you know, we have to kind of estimate a lot of this stuff because Facebook doesn't uh, uh, break it out. But you know, we, we sort of think that the ad load on Instagram is uh, less than half uh, 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 that it is on Facebook, and we think that the ad pricing is also uh, around half right now. Um, but Instagram is expanding both of those things uh, and its user base pretty rapidly. So the growth at Instagram is quite a bit faster than the growth at Facebook. And um, you know what, what, what's great about that is um, you know a lot of advertisers complain that ads on Facebook have gotten to be pretty expensive, but they can turn around and use a lot of the same data and a lot of the same targeting tools to reach users on Instagram you know, at a, at a, at a discount. So it's, um, it's a really good sort of one-two punch for Facebook. And, you know, real quick mention, like they, they still, they own WhatsApp and they have Facebook Messenger and um, they haven't yet begun to monetize those things in any meaningful way. And that's sort of another leg of growth down the road. Yep. 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 And now let's go over to content. Um, AT&T, uh, being uh, passed to be able to purchase uh, Time, Time Warner for what seventy some odd billion dollars, uh, so you know here, here's media convergence uh, eighteen years later coming to fruition. Uh, little too uh, t- too little too late, or is it going to uh, help the carrier, the telecom carrier, the wireless carrier of AT and T in America, uh, help it compete with the the likes of the Netflix? You know, I um, I think that um, Netflix is taking sort of a fundamentally different view. Uh, that you don't need to own both the, the delivery mechanism or the, or the, or the pipe uh, as well as the content. Like, they're taking the view that the content ultimately wins. And, I mean, so far that's proved to be true um, in, in Netflix's case. And, you know, when you've got a company like Netflix, they're plowing literally, you know, nearly $10 billion a year into uh, content, into original content. So how, how much was that? Um, it was, it was $7 billion this year and it's probably going to go up to 10 next year is my, wow. Guess. Wow. um, and you know, the next biggest uh, spender, by the way, 
is Amazon. At, at, you know, under, on content? Like, yep, about 3 or $4 billion on original content. Sorry, how much would Disney spend on original content? Any idea? It's 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 less than that. It's, Isn't um, I don't, that I don't know something exactly, else? But yeah, both of these companies are spending way more than Disney or Lionsgate or anybody else on new content. And you know what that's doing is it's do, it's got a bunch of great effects for Netflix. Number one, it drives subscriber growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, they are able to create content in one market like the United States and travel that content to Europe and other places, and that's proven to be really effective. Uh, they can use the data from the, from the Netflix service to understand what types of content users are going to want to see. Um, and then, uh, importantly, it's a big upfront expense, but down the road, they don't have to pay royalties on that content anymore, yep. so their profit margins go up over time. Wow. I'll tell you what content, Michael, I'm missing, and that is Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like sure. such cool content. Again, that, that was quite um, uh, irreverent uh, when CNN began airing a travel show. They said, wait, we're a news station. But they had to expand and and, uh, and uh, remain resilient, and that certainly gave CNN some uh, some additional legs. Uh, Michael, a real, a real pleasure having you on air. you you got a big brain, and you got a very fast-moving space with a lot of dynamic parts. It's, uh, I want to talk about artificial intelligence next time we get you back on because that's such a hot, hot topic, and you're, again, very much at the forefront of that. A real treat. I want to wish you a great weekend. Coming up next, we're going to talk about giving back with Dave Addison, Executive Director for the Toronto City Mission right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay tuned. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You can be a hero for just one day, for like, for many days. Uh, Wolfgang Klein, Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, Dave Addison, Executive Director of Toronto City Mission, is in studio. Uh, Dave, again, Hi-Fi Radio is a show about money and uh, for the fortunate ones who have money. And it's Jack and I's duty to try to help all of our listeners increase the amount of money that they have. But uh, when you're blessed, giving back also is a blessing. Um, and uh, it's, it's very important, I think, that uh, we Canadians continue to do so. Uh, as a Canadian, uh, we, we are generous people. 84% of Canadians do donate money uh, to the tune of about $10 billion a year. Um, and tax motivation is actually at the bottom of most lists. It's actually at the top of mine. I'm, I'm a very tax-motivated guy. <laughs> Sorry, I confess. Uh, but, of course, I, you know, I support the charities that are dearest to my heart. Um, Covenant House is, is one of those such charities. I'm actually thinking of sleeping on the street. Thinking of sleeping on the street uh, this November with uh, Jules Clyde. Yes. Uh, she's invited me to uh, do that with her. I, I can't say I'm going to do it. I'm not saying no either. Uh, I'm trying to muster up some courage. But uh, tell us, please, Dave, uh, a little bit about the uh, uh, Toronto mission, uh, what it does, and uh, what your involvement is in it. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Wolf. Toronto City Mission has, um, it's actually the oldest and longest running mission in the city, uh, founded in 1879. And its roots were in relief, uh, homelessness and food and clothing. Uh, but uh, back in the late 90s, um, transitioned to uh, preventative and proactive programs focused on children, youth, and families uh, who were most impacted by poverty. 
So it, uh, it's in the form of after-school programs for, uh, for kids, uh, summer camp, and a program for moms who've dropped out of high school uh, to help them get their GED, their high school equivalency. That's terrific. So now let's talk about the summer camp because uh, part of the reason for the interview was uh, funding and that some of the challenges that you had from normal funding that you would receive from the federal government, is it? Yeah, yeah. We've, um, for over 15 years, received uh, funding the uh, Canada Summer Jobs Program uh, provides, last year it was $72,000 and uh, allowed us to hire uh, 16 students and um, and we still had to pay a portion of the salary, but the lion's share uh, was covered by that grant. Uh, mm-hmm. This year, uh, the um, federal government, the liberal government decided to put uh, conditions, really what has been called a values test, uh, that many organizations weren't uh, willing or able to agree with. And um, and when we didn't attest to those values, we were denied funding. And, well, so, and what were those values? Uh, they were things around uh, pro, um, uh, pro-abortion. Uh, and although abortion has nothing to do with our mandate, uh, we do believe in the sanctity of life, and uh, we believe that uh, people have the right to um, make decisions around uh, their beliefs, their opinions, their conscience, and all of those things are protected under the Charter. Uh, so what was required, it really, for us, uh, as a faith-based a Christian organization, it's, um, it's about freedom of religion, uh, primarily. Uh, so, yeah, we couldn't... Uh, we couldn't in good faith and good conscience uh, tick the box. And another 1,500 organizations found themselves in the same thing. Not all Christian, some uh, Muslim, uh, any, and even people not of faith who didn't agree with the, the values that were presented by, um, by the feds. So is the federal government uh, looking at that and maybe reviewing their process for funding now uh, based on some of the challenges that you guys have faced? Well, they're, um, uh, I think they, they didn't realize how much of an impact it would have. And it's not right. just on the organizations. It's on the people that we serve. So, it, you know, it's the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the, those living in poverty uh, that the different organizations serve that are, are now not being funded. Uh, there are legal actions underway and uh, more that are in the process of, of being launched. And it's been said um, by Civil Liberties Association, it's, it's a clear charter infringement. Um, so... I think that it will change uh, next year, but uh, this year um, we were without funding, as were many other organizations. So, so without that funding, um, is there a shortfall this year for the summer camp? Or have uh, uh, I know it's been in the news a lot, so I would expect people uh, obviously to step up and, and maybe fill that gap. Well, we've really been blessed, um, but I, I don't think uh, our situation is necessarily what's happened everywhere. We we had um, a uh, an incredible response from. Um, uh, from our supporters, uh, we've actually just last week raised the last um, hundred thousand uh, dollars to cover this um, uh, this funding gap. So um, uh, you know we're, but we still have another. Uh, our camp actually cost two hundred thousand dollars for the year. Uh, our regular donors have also supported about another fifty thousand. So we're sitting around one hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, and uh, still have to raise about another fifty to uh, to cover the camp, but it was a big hit, um, a big hit. So, so the camps that you have uh, are they fully subsidized or partially subsidized for the kids, or is 100%, it on a One hundred percent, Jack. We we charge nothing uh, because we're dealing with the uh, uh, the poorest of the poor. Uh, we're in. F- uh, Flemington Park and Kingston Galloway, uh, Willow Tree, St. Jamestown, most of the families in Toronto Community Housing. 
Uh, so it's, um, you know, it's families who are struggling, social you, assistance. You, you know, it's incredible because I've written a piece before about the 1%, Dave, and it's actually the most hitted site, uh, piece on my website. Uh, it's about the 1%. So I've, I'm actually working on an update on that. And uh, a recent headline, the world's eight richest people own that of the poorest three and a half billion people on this planet. The world's eight richest people own that of three and a half billion of the poorest people on this planet. Startling numbers. And and and, and in fact, the 1% globally own half, half of the world's wealth, which is $140 trillion. So uh, redistribution is, is part and parcel of the mission here on Hi-Fi Radio, and giving to good charities is what it's all about. We're going to pay some bills around here and get right back with my good friend David Addison, Executive Director for the Toronto City Mission, right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Show me some love. Yes, indeed. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartland Studio with David Addison, the Executive Director for the Toronto City Mission. The average Canadian uh, donates $446 per year. Uh, don't forget, if you're going to make charitable donations, you want to collect until you have in excess of $200, and the person in your household is a higher tax-paying person should make those deductions. Uh, and if you're fortunate of the 1%, or even of the top 5 or 10% in Canada, uh, and you're giving thousands of dollars a year, you're, you're basically going to get about half of that money back if you're in the top marginal tax bracket. I'm also going to say what's heart-touching is kids, uh, the uh, 15 to 24-year-olds. The average 15 to 24-year-old actually donates $143 a year. Uh, 25, 34-year-olds, 300 bucks, and as we get older, we give more uh, up until our senior years, where we tend to give about $643 per year. And what's always fascinated me was the Maritimers. The highest amount of donors in Canada, actual donors in Canada are in the Maritime, the highest percent of population that actually donates, well over 80%. Uh, those who give the most are actually out in Calgary. Uh, interesting is to go from province to province to see how philanthropic we are. But as a, as a group in Canada, we're very, very philanthropic, and, well, we need to be. Uh, eh, Dave? Yes. Yeah, I mean, our mission, uh, we run on a, a million-dollar uh, annual budget, and um, if, if it's not for the giving of uh, people who have a heart for the work that we do, uh, uh, we wouldn't have survived for as many years as we have. Yeah. yeah tell us some of, the, some of the very powerful stories that, that, that makes your, 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 your cause uh, so great, Dave. Well, I think about uh, the Role Model Moms program. This is uh, uh, moms who have uh, usually been trapped in intergenerational poverty, often single moms, many on social assistance. Um, and uh, they've, by to be eligible for the program, they've, they've got kids. Often they've had them as a, as a teen. Um, and uh, so this program allows uh, the mom to, we, we provide childcare uh, and we have teachers. So those uh, things that often prevent them from getting their education, those barriers are taken away. Uh, we've got moms who have graduated from this program, gone on to college, uh, have gone on to um, uh, careers, professional careers that uh, would have not been accessible before. Um, and their kids are uh, inspired by their mom. And the mom now can actually help them with their homework. Uh, so it's it's absolutely transformational. We also have the privilege of hiring some of these moms uh, to come alongside as daycare supervisors uh, and um, uh, teachers' assistants who can then breathe hope into other moms who uh, who may be struggling and feeling they can't uh, they can't achieve the, uh, uh, the, the the 
the tests and the accomplishment of uh, of the program. So it uh, it can really turn lives around. Unbelievable. And now, do you work with other charities as well? Like, is there a network of charities that you you could collaborate with? I um, I personally meet with the executive directors of other organizations with a similar um, uh, focus as we do. Um, we do some uh, cross training. Um, we do. Uh, uh, collaborative work with our with our staff. We make certain that we're not uh, duplicating uh, the efforts. We're not running programs that are serving the same people in the same community. Uh, so there is a lot of coordination uh, to be the best stewards of the uh, of the resources that uh, that we've been entrusted with. Sorry, just in the interest of time, because we have to wrap the show up here. But I want to talk to you about the Toronto itself, because you are obviously Toronto City Mission here. In the core of Toronto, it's becoming expensive to live, um, and you know minimum. Wage has risen, uh, but I still I still think it'd be a very very challenging place to live if you're underprivileged, underfunded, uh, if you're an, 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 an immigrant uh, or a newly landed immigrant, shall I say? Uh, if you're a visible minority, if there's a language barrier, if there is a disability, these are the challenges that people face. And living in an expensive city uh, like Toronto can be tough. You got a tough climate as well, so you know being homeless in Toronto uh, would be certainly more challenging than it would be, for example, in Los Angeles. Not that it'd be easy anywhere to be homeless, but at least climate wise, uh, Toronto would be a very, very tough place to sleep on the streets, for example. I'm dreading in the middle of November, <laughs> one day. Yeah, there you go. You know? uh, well, we, um, uh, our focus is, is not uh, as much on homelessness, but uh, on um, uh, families living in poverty. It's, uh, uh, but it is. I mean, most, most are in subsidized housing. Uh, we do most of our work in Toronto community housing. Um, and uh, so first, and, but do we have enough of that? Is there more of that coming? Uh, it, it looks like, in fact, they they, they took they tore down. Um, where is it by the military base, Jack, over on King over on uh, Moss Park? Yeah, Moss Park. Uh, what happened to those people? They just got relocated, and if and, and if so, where to? Yeah, a lot. They shuffle people around uh, to different uh, uh, communities where there are available housing, but uh, but it uh, it displaces them. It breaks relationships. Um, it's not a healthy thing for uh, uh, for families to be moved. The, the, mind you, I will say the the concentration of of, of um, underprivileged people uh, in, in, in can be ghettoizing, and, and, and I think that is, is something that we learned from our past. In Europe, they do it much better. They integrate them, yes. uh, and, and they do a very, very good job. Uh, Dave Addison, an absolute treat, executive director, director for the Toronto City Mission. Uh, you do good work. Keep up the good work. Um, you, you hit me in the heart, my good friend. Thanks, uh, Paul. An absolute pleasure. Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday. A real treat to be your host, uh, Jack Hartle, a co-host, and wingman. Uh, I wish you a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.